शिला गुरुदेव पतित पवान की जाय श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जाय श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जाय श्री श्री गोर राधा माधव की जाय गोर भक्त विंद की जाय गोर प्रमान वी हैप्पी टू बी अगेन इन योर कंपनी सो थैंक्स सो मच फॉर बीइंग हियर स्पेशली माय फॉर्चून टू हैव Shripad Bhakti Vai Ashram Maharaj giving his blessings and hopefully some nice words at the end of my exposition. <laughs> so today we are continuing with this series of lectures about Upadeshamrita's four, first four verses that very nicely uh, were explained in different commentaries, especially Thakur Bhakti not composed the whole book about those four verses calling it's bhakti alok, no? so the light, basically, of devotion. Interestingly, no? Fo- focusing in these first four verses as the light of devotion, as Maharaj was explaining yesterday, trying, we are starting to enter into the temple of bhakti, and entering the temple as bhakti is not something that happened from one day to the other, but gradually we are really entering, 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 until there is nothing else apart from this temple of bhakti that eventually will be constructed and acted in our own heart. We have the deity on the altar being installed, but eventually the ultimate deity installation have to be performed right here. <laughs> um, our study will be more than alive there. As Guru Mas explains, kicking out Paramatma and establishing himself, herself, forever here. <laughs> so yesterday we shared some words about the first verse of Upadushambrita, which as we explained, mainly deals with uh, apparently so-called non-devotional, <laughs> still non-devotional uh, urges to control, but actually we explained how in the context of bhakti, or in the context of sharanagati, this type of urges will be naturally tolerated, properly tolerated in the context of anukulyasasankalpo, in this case, those things to avoid. And we may call them do's and don'ts, <coughs> uh, what to do, what not to do, yama, niyama, as you may like to call them. But eventually Bhaktinathakur explains, in order for that not to be merely bidhi, or something, I have to do this, I don't have to do that, no, you start to see those things, that those things that will nurture my affection, my project of bhav. No, or the particular feeling. So what nurtures that? What doesn't nurture that? It's a different approach than just saying, I don't have to do that, I have to do that. No? So gradually we should be become very capable of dealing with rules and regulations in this, with this affectionate background. And at that point you will start to move from what we may call Bhaiti Bhakti to a deeper sense of Raga Bhakti. Even though we start with Ajata Ruchi Raga Bhakti, Eventually, <coughs> the ruchi will come more and more as we replace this sense of duty by a sense of passionate desire fueled by what's uh, pleasing to the object of our love. Some sit here, Haditosha. So we yesterday spoke about these six urges, not to control but to tolerate, to say Rupa Goswami, how to tolerate these things in the proper way, in a healthy way, in a devotional way. <laughs> so 
So we spoke about Bach, Manas, Kroda, Jiva, Udara, Upasta. We will, I won't go into detail again because it's repeating again that, the class. <laughs> but we went into detail about how to control the urge of speech, the urge of, well, the mind, what to do with the mind, how to capture the mind. In somehow or other, Shilasamaras would say responsibility will capture the mind automatically. That's a very important point that I think we missed that yesterday, but then I'm repeating it now. <laughs> Deep engagement in responsible service. Great. Thanks so much, Maras. So that's what I meant by responsibility. <laughs> so Maras made it really clear. So automatically mind is just captured in that direction. So Kroda we express also how to use our temper in the service of the divine, not to imitate Hanuman burning Sri Lanka, but that's an example. <laughs> so we have to burn our own Sri Lanka first, as we spoke yesterday. You know, the enemy is, the, the Raban is not in some island next to India called Lanka, but Lanka is over here, so burn the island <laughs> of the Ravana-like you know, tendencies. You know? Like one was explained, Ravana wanted Sita without Ram. He wanted Shakti without Shakti Mam. No. <laughs> so sometimes we want something like that. We want Maya Shakti, but without the Shakti Mam. <laughs> or we may even want some other Shakti without Shakti Mam. So everything, all the questions should be in place. Mm. So also we spoke about how to tolerate the, the urge of Jiwa, no? the, the tongue regarding tasting, and how proper approach to the Prasad conception is the final solution to that and also we spoke about Udara and Upashta, the stomach and the genital sense how to gradually be able to uh, put all of them in line with devotional service basically, you know, our approach is always totally practical and positive in the idea of Yukta Vairagya means we are not rejecting anything but actually what we reject is the approach where some band is missing basically if some band is there, there's nothing to get detached from because everything has a link with Krishna. So some band will show you that everything has a link with Krishna. So everything has a potential of being engaged with Krishna, Krishna's service, of course. So when, with proper sambanda, proper yukta vairagya, with proper yukta vairagya, we will be surrounded by a whole world of potential paraphernalia to be used in the service of Krishna. In the words of Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta. When we awake to that reality, every single atom is paraphernalia to be engaged in service. That's the meaning of the Arctic plate. No? Incense, fire, all these five elements that make up the whole planet Earth. So the Earth is represented in that plate, so what do we do with that plate? We offer to Bhagavan, and after that we take the remnants of that. No? Lamp, incense, but first to its source, and then legally we can have devotional enjoyment. I mean, we are not against that. <laughs> Sense enjoyment in the context of Saranagati. That's an important point to understand. <laughs> so today we will continue a little bit with these ideas. We'll go to verse number two, where Srila Rupa Goswami will start mentioning a series of points to, in this first second, in this second verse, six things to avoid next verse tomorrow six things to embrace so let's go with the verse and after that we try to explain a little bit about that so the verse says cha hara prayasasya kayalpo niyama graha 
Chilarupa Goswami also in his 64 Angas of Bhakti he mentions, he kind of invokes the principle of Atyahara by saying, you, sh- you shouldn't accumulate no, more disciples than required. No, excessive disciples, you should just not engage in excessive endeavors. Second point that will come. Or you shouldn't read many books. So once he was saying that to his disciples, no, the Guru shouldn't have many disciples. So his disciples were thinking, uh, but Guru Maharaj, you have many disciples. <laughs> so they asked him, but how, how to harmonize that? Because you are saying, not too many disciples, but you have thousands. So he say, that's a question of personal capacity. So what's many? For someone, thousands is still little, for others, zero disciple is already too much. No? <laughs> they cannot deal with themselves. What to speak of having disciples? <laughs> hmm? So, again, when here Rupa Goswami is saying, do not accumulate too much, what's too much will be according to each particular case. So all these points have a very personal, individual application. It's not that you will go and you say, this is the universal standard of what's too much. It's very personal. But we will say something about that. So over, over accumulation, uh, of course, will lead to the second point that will be over endeavor, over eff- effort. It's naturally, if you are carrying a, a how do you say, like a, a luggage or whatever that is excessively heavy, that will take you extra energy. No. So, <coughs> Atyahara is not only concerned with the idea of well, it, it deals with this idea that we think that by having things we will become more. No, as Guru Maharaj explains, no, as much as I have, the more I become. No, in in Upanishad, first verse, this point is dealt with. No, Sarvam, and so on. That says how the Lord is the supreme controller and the supreme uh, possessor, and He's the one giving the exact quota to every person, and we should be happy with that quota, and not just. Asking for more and for more and for more. <clears throat> That's a speciality of human nature in its conditioned state. If you put like a big bag of, I don't know, grains in the street, one bird will come, will take the necessary grains, another animal will come, take their quota. A human being will come, call a taxi, take the whole bag, and leave home. No. <laughs> I say, why do you need so much? I don't know, but maybe, who knows? No. <laughs> Sometimes people in their houses having like, I don't know, things from 40 years ago there that never were touched in three decades. And you say, just throw that. No, no, who knows? I may need that in every particular. So you just accumulate. Because you feel I'm more secure. That gives me a sense of assurance of who knows what. No? Some, some possible shelter is there in an eventual situation. <laughs> but subtly we may get attached to all those things. No? So, it's very important to... Well, that's why animal kingdom and all these other kingdoms, except from the human kingdom, are generally much more in harmony and peaceful than us. No? They are taking their part, their quota, in their nature, and, and, and they receive whatever they need. I mean, are not, nothing is lacking for them. In, in, I mean, of course, if human being appears on this scene, that's another thing. But <laughs> if you leave their animals in their natural habitat... They are receiving what they need, taking what they need, no more than that. So the problem is when we start to over 
overtake, take excessively, basically. So we start to lack eventually, because we are acting as thieves, as Wormash was saying today in one class standing in the car. We have fear because we are thieves. <laughs> so naturally, that's why you have fear, because we are taking in the wrong direction, in the wrong quantity. <laughs> um, so we are running, up, someone is running after us, so we have fear. Material existence is basically fear. So we should be very careful about not taking more than we require. Also, this Atyahara uh, has to do not only with, because we may feel Atyahara has to do with money, for example, or with eat, eating. No? And again, we go to the previous verse and to the verse that Mahaprabhu told to Raghunath Das also. Do not eat fancy food. So Atyahara means do not overeat, do not fill your stomach too much or whatever. Do not fill your pockets too much as well. <laughs> this applies, I mean, by implication to so many things. You know? For example, we may easily attach over attached to money. That's a very powerful energy. Lakshmi Devi herself is there, so she will be duly worshipped. Once one devotee asks another, one sadhu, he says, "The guru finished the class, and the disciples say, Guru Maharaj." Are you more interested in my heart or in my pocket? That's quite challenging. That's not the way to ask your guru a question. <laughs> that was the question. And see, he said, are you more interested in my heart or my pocket? And he said, in both. Because your heart is in your pocket. He said. And I'm interested in your heart, but your heart is in your pocket. So I'm interested in your pocket also. Not by the pocket, for the pocket itself, but for your heart that is there. So give me part of your pocket implies give me part of your heart. <laughs> Those things that you are attached to, give them to me. Now, Lakshmi belongs to Narayan, no one else. As they say, all the fame is for the Guru. All the Lakshmi, for Narayan. All the gopis are for Krishna. Not for you. <laughs> so... But this atyahara can be also expressed in other directions, not only regarding accumulating, for example, uh, money or food or stuff in the room, but also accumulating knowledge, for example. There can be an atyahara regarding jnana. You can really overfeed your intellect and go beyond your, your capacity just wanting to know to know and to know more. And meanwhile, by using your intellect, you can really learn, nurture your heart and nurture your faith. Also, you can overfeed your, your brain, your head, if you will, in such a way that it's devouring, devouring, devouring your faith. I mean, your faith can be devoured by your head <laughs> if you don't know how to deal with knowledge. So you can indulge in this Atyahara Gyan, trying to know more than what we need to know. Hmm? I mean, well, we need to know something in such a way that it takes us to a practical application of that knowledge, that it takes place to a fruit eventually. Sambanda, Abhideya, Prayotu. So Abhideya, or the practice, is the natural outcome of receiving proper Sambanda. So when you receive proper knowledge in a proper way, immediately it takes you to some practical application of that. It's not that it becomes stuck here. It enters here, 
And we have two years, so some things may enter and the other, and, and some things may continue their journey. We don't have to retain everything. <laughs> many things have to enter here, but they have to continue their parikram somewhere else. <laughs> but many things have to enter, pass this filter, make sense to us, and eventually you know, reach home and become some insight. So, Atyahara regarding Gyan has more to do with just being here and being here and being here and kill and devouring your your heart basically you know? so that's what's one of the big lessons of, of Mahaprabhu being in my pandit for some years of his lila and being a so-called pandit but eventually rejecting that particular approach to knowledge I mean if there was someone who had knowledge that was ni my pandit <laughs> and as and as you know this famous and with his disciples, student of Sarbhavoma Bhattacharya, no? who the two of them were, Guru Maharaj narrates that, in the boat on the Ganges, and this disciple presented him his book about Tarka logic, and he might say, well, I have another one. He didn't, but manifested that immediately. He said, oh, let me see. There's one book also I wrote recently. <laughs> and he started to read this, and he started like, to cry. And you might say, why are you crying? I mean, it's a book of logic. I mean, it's not so emotional at all. (laughs) It's not hard-touching, it's logic. Tarka is really cold. (laughs) I said, I'm crying because I thought I was going to become the biggest pundit in the world, but I read this and I realized I won't be the first one. I will be the second one, but I want to be the first one. Oh, that's your concern. So you might take his book, throws to the Ganges. Now you can be the main logic in the world. And he indeed he became the grace grace of Mahaprabhu. <laughs> because that's not great mercy. We don't want that mercy. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> but someone may want that. So Mahaprabhu was teaching with that. No, that's nonsense. says Brahma. The top most scientist of the whole world. He says, oh, I have four heads to think more than anyone else, but as a Gurma say, I get more knowledge by inclining my head on the floor than just by putting my four heads to think at its most. So, this Atyahara has to do with taking care of, of this sense of, of accumulation and this sense that by having more, I am more. By having more knowledge, by having more money, by having more whatever, you feel the the line with whatever word you like (laughs) of course by having more devotion I'm more by having more mercy of Sri Guru I'm more that's the line of that's our Atyahara there is no excess in that (laughs) there is no death of overdose of Krishna's mercy so we can proceed in that direction but the other ones be careful and try to just take what you you need And, and that implies you have to take something you have to give something to your senses your senses need some some enjoyment, I mean, some nurturing. For example, even to the yogi who is just in the cave, no, inward, sometimes he has to go out and take a breath. <laughs> and you cannot just blame him, you are a sense enjoyer. No? Your nose is taken from the environment. <laughs> I mean, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, no one can live without certain amount of that. So try to be realistic and take what you need, what is really necessary. Prabhupada will say, what's necessary to keep your body and soul together. (laughs) 
Maybe we take a little bit more sometimes, <laughs> but ideally we, we should have a certain balance. Because we can repeat this idea, yes, at Tihara, don't take more than necessary. But after that we should continue with a life of, how do you say in English, like Epicurean lifestyle. No? We are not Epicure. Krishna is that one. Krishna is an Epicurean, but his enjoyment nurtures all of us. <laughs> That's his capacity. When we want to enjoy, it's not very nurturing to the environment. It's actually no. taking from the environment. When Krishna wants to enjoy, the whole environment is being nurtured. So he's the Epicurean, ideal Epicurean for us, not us ourselves. No? So this is the Atyahara conception and some in some brief words. <clears throat> so let's go to the second one, which is Prayasa. Uh, Prayasa is closely connected to the first one, as I said. Prayasa means excessive uh, endeavor, excessive efforts, which it, it means we should make some effort, but also we should know over-endeavor. Because sometimes, I, I've seen the Buddhists going to both to the extremes, you know, like Okay, this process is about mercy, so no necessity of personal sacrifice. Mercy will do everything. <laughs> or, no, you have to sacrifice yourself, but you go to extremes where you forget the role of mercy. And how that role of mercy cannot be replaced, but no, no matter how much you make some effort. You follow? You can make your highest effort, still some elements will be only provided by the mercy department. Not by your personal sacrifice. As we did, gave the other day the, the, the analogy that if you fall, fall for to, a, to a deep uh, well, well yeah, and 10 meters you break your legs or whatever, so what, what, do you, what will you do there? How, how can you go out the well? I mean, you cannot go out for yourself, but you can do something. So what will you do there? I'm asking. Very good. <laughs> so you will shout for help. That's your part. I mean, now no one else can do that. It's not all, but you have to call for help. So what's, why, that's why we are chanting Hare Krishna. We are in the well. <laughs> we are crying and, and shouting. Hopefully, so someone will come. <clears throat> I will see. Oh, <laughs> you need help. Okay. So the person will go. I'll look for the rope go, come back, throw the rope and tell you again, you have to do something else now what's that part? that's your part the other one is holding on to the other side and is making the biggest the biggest sacrifice (laughs) the biggest effort you just hold on and the other one is taking you out but you have to hold on as we were speaking yesterday it means you have to have faith you have to have trust in in the content of the gift that is coming to you. As I said the other day, if I gave a gift to you, I mean, the only thing you have to do is take it, put the hands, and trust in the content. Do not be like, oh, I don't know what's inside. I, maybe you keep the, 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 the gift. But you are in the... <laughs> no? It's like if you are in the well and someone throws you the, 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 the rope and you say, mm, I don't know if I take the rope, which will be his intentions when I go out. Maybe the, the rope may have some hidden whatever... I mean, you have to take the risk, even in that case. No? So you have to hold on. The other person is doing the main task. 
and eventually, even in the midst of, in the middle of the saving journey, there may be some bees there. And you may say, oh no, I will just throw, how do you say, the opposite of hold on? Let go of the rope. Because maybe a bee will bite me. And the person will say, no problem, let the bee bite you and let the bee do whatever. They, I'm saving you, your life. <laughs> so, that's nothing in comparison. So eventually, when you are out, you have been saved. I mean, you won't say to that person, did you see how nicely I hold on on the rope? No, you, you, can, you will say, thank you, save my life. <laughs> if you say, I, I very nicely hold the rope, he will throw you again to the well. <laughs> you don't understand that. <laughs> so that's a little bit the connection between effort and grace. No? Our part is effort, which means we have to call for help, you have to hold on the rope, you have to have minimum trust in the one who is saving you, and after that being grateful, say, oh, you saved my life, what can I do now in reciprocation? But the other person is doing the main thing. Running, hearing you, being compassionate, getting the robe, taking you out. So, uh, we should endeavor, <laughs> but not over-endeavor. So, over-endeavor may be this, not that from ego, I'm not aware of the role of mercy, and I will endeavor for my own salvation without considering who is the one throwing the rope and all this stuff. <laughs> and, and of course, again, this idea of over-endeavor can apply to what we mentioned before. There's over-accumulation uh, in karma and in jnana. So there's over-endeavor in karma and jnana, says Bhakti Nautakura as well. You can excessively be working in order to accumulate some material Assets, you say? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, but also you can be over-endeavoring in the uh, attempt of accumulating more and more information. And what's the purpose of that accumulation, of that sacrifice? No? So sometimes the purpose, and Bhakti Nautakura says, the worst type of, of, pra- of uh, prayasa or unnecessary effort is pratistatha prayasa, which means making a big effort for only positioning yourself in the center. There is people who really make big sacrifice to be in the center and remaining there. Remaining there, I mean, they are never in the center. <laughs> remaining in the illusion that they are in the center. <laughs> it takes lots of sacrifice. You know? Like if you have your social media and you really, that's very effective for many people because that really gives you the idea, I am in the center of whole creation. But it requires daily dedication to the cause. <laughs> Every day you have to be uploading a new picture, you have to put the picture through Photoshop, so you appear like an empowered descent avatar, and very bright, or whatever, and you have to <laughs> share that with many people, so you have many likes and comments. It consumes your whole day. But still, I'm, I'm the center. One more day. No? The problem is that every single friend in your Facebook is thinking the same. <laughs> and all of them are wrong. <laughs> so it's really cheating. <laughs> so it's very, very careful. You have to be careful of this pratishna, which is really so unbecoming. But we may invest in great part of the energy of our life in just trying to be something or someone we will never be. Basically, pratishna means that. I mean, you try to... Mm, yeah, to 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 over, uh, yeah, to be over excessively pleased in attributes that actually eventually are not in you or do not belong to you. Actually, are being a gift to you. 
to very unbecoming. Pratista Sukarabista will say the scriptures, as we must always quote. This desire is worse than to pick pig's stool. So we should be very careful. In the Manasiksha, Sila Raghunadas Goswami compares this Pratishta to having a bath in the, in, in the, in the urine of, a, of an ass. Something like that. No? So not very becoming. Not very nice Abhishek, that one. No? <laughs> no. So the ass is mudha. Mudha means ignorance. No? And the urine of an ignorant is even more ignorant. <laughs> and you choose just to bathe in that day after day you know, and consider yourself, I'm so glorious with this Abhishek I'm building to myself. And Braguna Dagoshan say you are doing big ridicule. You are being really totally embarrassed. So Pratista creates this, this fantasy that you see yourself I'm so special, but actually outside of yourself it's so embarrassing, this situation. So we should be very, very, very careful of not being over-endeavoring in this direction. But we should know how to use our energy and how to invest our, our sacrifice in the, in, the proper, in the proper sense. So after that we have, I'm trying to be brief because each point is, one point is worth the whole class, but what to do. Third one, Prajalpa. In one sense, Rupa Goswami already spoke about that, which he said, but again, if that was not enough clear, let's say it again. Prajalpa. <laughs> and all the necessary times we need, again, over and over again from different angles, till the lesson becomes clear to us. So Prajalpa means basically nonsense, to engage in nonsense. <laughs> so by, by extension, the charis have explained, not necessarily it limits itself to what you are speaking about. But whatever nonsensical thing you are doing, that's a form of prajalpa. <laughs> no. If you are using your time and energy in a very unsubstantial way, that's a form of prajalpa. I mean, you are. I don't know if you have this expression in English that when you are doing this nonsense, you say, "Well, I'm killing my time." Mm-hmm. You are doing this. Okay, it's funny. But actually. The reality is exactly the opposite. Time is killing you at the moment. Ajur harati bhai The sun is coming saying, oh, your life is being taken away. If you live your life in such a way. So prajalpa means like to live a purposeless life. No, to not be really concerned with this idea of purpose. And find the meaning at every step. No, it's not enough that we say, I already discovered the meaning of life. No? Krishna Prem, pure love for Radha and Krishna, whatever. <laughs> but, okay, that's the ultimate purpose. But how you will achieve the ultimate purpose? You have to find purpose and meaning at every step of your life. Till you eventually reach that land made of purpose. Purpose land, if you will. So, we should be able to do that. To find meaning and purpose at every moment with our speech, with our acts, with our thoughts. And eventually we will reach the higher purpose, the, the ultimate purpose. It's not enough to just know theoretically what's the ultimate purpose. You have to really know how to meet that day after day. So, uh, of course, Bhaktivinoda also gives different categories of what's Prajalpa like. 
like gossip, as we say yesterday, finding faults in others. Uh, what else does he say? For example, well, of course, the most delicate type of prajalpa is Vaishnava Purat. There is a form of prajalpa when you are like, just criticizing Vaishnavas or gossip regarding, related to them. You can indulge in prajalpa outside the circle of Vaishnava Purat, but you can also engage in, in that type of prajalpa, which is pretty delicate. So, well, yesterday we spoke a little bit about how to counteract this prajalpa, uh, how to counteract these nonsensical uh, urges in our life, trying to embrace purpose, uh, purposeful activities, basically. Not only when we are speaking, but whatever we may be doing, that has to be full of purpose. So that will be regarding to prajalpa, no? But Prabhupada Goswami say, if you speak nonsense, I mean, you will be doing nonsense and you will be nonsense. And you will be nowhere. So, of course, eventually when we reach the highest goal, you will find some other types of prajalpa in the transcendental appropriate realm, but that's another thing. When, for example, Srimati Radharani is speaking the Brahma Gita, the Bumblebee song, it is said that she speaks so many types of different crazy conversations. It mentioned ten types of jalpas. Jalpa, Vijalpa, Prajalpa, Anujalpa, I don't remember the name of all of them. So all of them are like mad, maddened like talks. But of course that's come from another type of intoxication. No? <laughs> so she can indulge in Prajalpa. All these terms that we explained have their perfect application in the ultimate realm. No? We say, be careful with engaging in Prajalpa, you go there, there is Prajalpa. There is Gramya Kata, I would say yesterday. <laughs> or sometimes we say things like, we are against being a Sahaja. But actually the term Sahaja, first and foremost, applies to the Brajabhasis. Because Sahaja means something that acts in, with inborn, in a natural way, spontaneous way, you Aprakrita Sahaja. No? The Brajabhasis are Aprakrita Sahaja. No? Transcendentally, spontaneously, natural loving to Krishna. We can be Prakrita Sahajas or Sahajas. So we always have the original version over there. Over there no? <laughs> Here we receive the made in Taiwan version. Huh? With all my respect to Taiwan, of course. <laughs> so, well. So, Atyahara Prayasas Chaprayalpu Niyamagraha. Some words about Niyamagraha. I want to take some time with, in this point, I really. It's really very for me very important. So niyamagraha again has two meanings. If according depending if the a in niyamagraha is long or normal, it will have two meanings. So niyamagraha will mean, as I said, to follow rules and regulations without understanding their purpose, or to not follow any rules and any regulation. So, there may be some sort of two extremes, if you will. And just following, as Guru Maharaj says, following the rule without understanding that the purpose of the rule is to be broken. <laughs> Rules are meant to be broken, but you will, I mean, you will be able to break the rule when you have really followed the rule. Follow the rule will qualify you to break the rule. And break the rule will take you to accept the higher rule. No. No. Eventually, as Guru Maharaj say also, 
uh, rules, in rules there is no love, in love there is no rules. Or love is the rule, if you will, if you want to say it another way. So, this Niyamagraha following the rule, but not the spirit of the rule, also may mean not only like some formal, superficial imitation of something that can be there, imitation. In Sanskrit, this is called Anukar. So, Anukar means. I'm Anu, I'm following car, what the other is doing. Someone does this, I do that. And in the beginning we imitate, like a baby is looking at the father or the brother, higher brother, and just doing the same. There's a moment for that. <laughs> but eventually Anukar should become what's called Anusar. Anusar. Sar means the essence. So one thing is to follow what the other is doing, and is to follow the essence of what the other is doing. To follow the essence means, means you have to understand why the other person is doing what he is doing. And then I will know, can I do that or not? <laughs> Does it correspond to me to do that or not? So for that you have to really go beyond the act itself and understand what's the motivation that is taking that person to do that. Why Pundarik Bidani is smoking hookah? Should we establish that here, North Carolina standard? <laughs> but when you go deep and you understand, oh, no, that's not for me. <laughs> Extreme example, of course. <laughs> so, so Niyamagraha also means, <coughs> basically it means you are following something, in this, in this first example of, 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 of following something without understanding the purpose also may apply to when you get you reach a particular level of practice but you insist in following certain rules that correspond to a lower level of practice while while you are already fit for following a higher level of rules but you insist I want to continue with with the kindergarten ones (laughs) and you are for the PhD already so if you insist there, that's Niyamagraha also. You follow the idea, no? Mm-hmm. So, so that's, that can happen. <laughs> so we should be very careful. The, the Bhagavatam says this, no? Very nice verse, 11th canto. It says, If someone is really fixed in their own I mean, the idea, generally, is if you get to be fixed in your adhikar, adhikar means as much as I can do. Adhikar. I can do till here. So I accept that. That's my perimeter of capacity. <laughs> so if you really act according to your capacity, and in lack of capacities, <laughs> that's, Bhakti Notaku would say, real beauty. No? Or that's real virtue, according to the Bhagavad Saguna parikirtita. That's a good quality. You act according to your capacity. But be pariyaryo to those But if you inverse that and you are doing something that doesn't belong to you, that's called impiety. You are a sinful person, basically. <laughs> that's considered sin. Act outside of your adhikar. That was what has been established by the sages, the Bhagavad says. So this very important thing, which is our present adhikar, which is our present duties, rules to follow, and, and that that is elastic, that is moving. I mean, 
in some time that will be not the same. So day after day we should be paying attention where I'm standing now, which should, what things should I follow. Of course, having nice guidance, close guidance to us to know what to do in that regard. <coughs> but which are, my, which are my present niyamas and yamas properly? If you don't follow properly your, your yamas, okay, you have to speak with Yama eventually. Yama Raj will come, the Lord of Rules. <laughs> That's what his name like is, Yama Raj, you know, the Ray, the King of the Rules. So like he will, if you act in the other way, you know, the other Niyama Graha, I don't want to follow any rules. Okay, <laughs> you have to meet the Lord of the Rules and he will really give you some rules, like it or not. <laughs> so... The rules are there, but rules are there, as we spoke the other day, between Bhaiti and Raga Bhakti. The rules are not there to suffocate, suffocate your devotional expression, but to do, to give proper nurturing and, and, and context and sustainability to your practice. I mean, we need certain rules. I mean, it gives some orders and parameters to our life. It's just not, I will do whatever I want. I mean, we don't have that Sahaja, now that inborn natural. We are not ragadmikas. We are not made of of rag. That whatever I do immediately places Krishna. <laughs> now, in Vrindavan, nobody is thinking. Okay, I will do this to please Krishna. It, it, in their psychology, there is no second option about, apart from pleasing Krishna. So naturally, I mean, they go in that direction. There is nothing else apart from that. And in one sense, they do not have free will. <laughs> now, in the sense of having to choose between two options, they already chosen eternally. <laughs> if you will. of course they keep choosing choosing in the proper direction day after day. But in our case, no, some rules will help to give form to our final choice. And whenever we have give take that final choice in a strong way, okay, no, rules had their purpose and. Love have awake, awakened there. <clears throat> so even in the context of our Raga Bhakti process or Ajata Ruchi Raga Bhakti process, rules have the purpose. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's the presence of Vaidhi Bhakti in, in, the, in, at this, in the service of Raga, if you will. Vaidhi means Bidhi, Bidhi means rules. So we have nothing against rules if they are promoting affection. So Niyamagraha means that. Whatever I'm doing, I have to do that with the understanding of how that is nurturing my affection. Because if not, I shouldn't cheat myself thinking, no, just by doing that, even if I don't understand, I will get to Krishna. That won't happen. <laughs> Rupa Goswami says in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, if you worship Krishna, but you are not properly concerned of developing the proper mood that Krishna presents in Vrindavan, but you say, I would like to go with, to with Krishna in Vrindavan, but you are not properly educated and you worship Krishna in a Vaidhi context, you will end up as a queen in Dwarka. So, and you will say, oh, but I wanted to go to Vrindavan, what am I doing here in Dwarka? <laughs> well, you should know how to direct your practice in a specific way, so it leads to a specific uh, goal. We say that the other day. We are in a very specific school of thought. It's very specific, very sectarian in the healthy way. Sect in the particular sector, sect, right? very direct, specific direction. 
with a very universal foundation, as we spoke yesterday with Kanu Ran, the foundation is really commonsensical, universal. When you go to the specifics, it became so... And also, this is a very important point we should take uh, uh, care. We are in a very specific and, and sophisticated school with such a degree of conclusions that we may gradually become, become lazy in the sense of, okay, I've arrived to the place where all answers are there, so I don't have to think for myself. So this is a form of niyamagraha. No? I just act, but I'm not really thinking for myself, no? So it's, it's, it's delicate because yes, in, in, in our tradition there, are such a de- there is such a degree of revelation and answers in a detailed way that you may really think, okay, it's, everything is given, so I have just to receive that and not think for myself. No? But the guru has the duty of. No. Yesterday we were speaking also with that, how that with Kanuram Prabhu. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you may ask something to the guru and the guru just will. Not answer, basically. <laughs> he was showing how he asked something to Guru Maharaj, and Guru Maharaj answered in a very interesting way. He never answered. <laughs> he sent some mail, Guru Maharaj, should I do this or that? <laughs> no answer. That's the answer. No? Like think. Think that for yourself. No? Think for yourself. Do not expect that Guru is just an answer machine or that will just solve you every single thing because sometimes we may conceive the idea or the book or the guru they have all the answers they have to solve all my life I just go with my problems to them and they give me magic solutions and that's still a form of, of exploitation basically no. <laughs> no. Of, of seeing them as servants of my servants no. he has to serve me by providing me the perfect answer but maybe I'm not yet ready to present the perfect question so first I have to learn to present the proper questions concerning to my present adhikar. Because if I'm not asking something according to my adhikar, of course the, the answer will never touch my heart. Because the question was not going from the heart. So yes, we can be... We, we have to be careful with becoming like, let's say, conceptually lazy. <laughs> because such conceptual horizon is there that we may think, oh, I don't have to think for myself. Everything is being given very mercifully. But you have to, to think for yourself. And Guru will try to, to make you think for yourself. So that's something regarding Niyama Graha. And of course the second meaning, that's more, maybe more easy to understand. Just act whimsically and not follow anything. That's not the idea. The only here, the only one here who is allowed to be whimsical is Krishna. He's really whimsical, but he does such thing in a charming way. So <laughs> we are just here to serve Krishna's whims. Okay, <laughs> and that we have to be very disciplined <laughs> and very and embrace properly the rules in order that Krishna's whims are duly served and honored by us. <laughs> That's it the paradoxical situation of this sadhaka. <laughs> Krishna is the Epicurean one, the whimsical one, but when he expresses all those things, he ends up nurturing everyone. So we cannot imitate him. <laughs> Try to do that, he will not be happy end to the movie. <laughs> so Niyama Graha. And after that we have two more. 
I will ask Maharaj after to give us some conclusion. Uh, jana Sangha. Jana Sangha means uh, what? To avoid? Yeah, bad, worldly, whatever you may like to call association. So, of course, this has to do with Sangha. No? So, because sometimes devotees say, well, Maharaj, but in my job, not everyone is to go with the Vaishnava. Oh, I'm sure, of course. <laughs> Maybe in the case of Subal, some exception is there. Some four or five go with the Vaishnava, or they're at work, so I'm very fortunate. <laughs> but he has to be their, their boss, so I don't know. It's so fortunate. You have to deal properly. It's a delicate situation. <laughs> very fortunate. Vaishnavas are there. So, But the point is, oh, in my job, there are people who is no Vaishnavas. But the point is, you don't have to associate with them. I mean, associate, association means when you get so close with someone that that person starts to influence your life. But you can deal with some people on a certain level that you are not really getting that deep in order that everyone will become affected by the other. No. So Sangha mainly has to do with, with those relationships that will transform your existence. Because actually that's what we are looking after. The other day I was re- looking at a very nice talk by short one by Richard Rohr. You know him, this famous like Franciscan monastic. Interesting things he says. So he was being in this Oprah Winfrey. I don't know the name of the program, but some interview with her. So she was. He was speaking about how it is so difficult for us to love. Why it's so difficult for us to love? So basically he said. It's so difficult for us to really love because loving someone, of course, implies being loved by someone. And that implies that the, the other person's presence, influence, and entrance in your life implies that person will transform you into someone else, into something else. So, are you ready to that, for that? Generally, we, are, we do not want anyone to transform us. No? We are very afraid. We want to preserve our so-called identity. <laughs> but love means someone else will enter your life and will make you someone else, something different, someone different. And we are so afraid of that. <laughs> but that's what means Sadhu Sangha. Sadhu Sangha means an, a company that will make you all that you can be. So that's a nice transformation in the proper direction. <laughs> so in this case, a Sadhu Sangha is being... No? The main uh, attribute of a Vaishnav, in a negative way, he's saying here is, he's a satsanga tyag. No? He becomes detached from bad association. So he or she only uh, uh, looks for that company that will affect his her heart in the best possible direction. So it's interesting because in the next verse, Rupa Goswami, in the six positive things to do, will speak about Sadhu Sangha. So now he's speaking about the same indirectly, like from both sides, emphasizing this is a very important point. You are a product of your environment. So if a Satsanga is your environment, that's what you will become. If Satsanga is your environment, that's what you will become. Prashangama, Jarampasham, Atmayo, Kavayo, Vidu. This Bhagavatam verse says, Moksha Dwarama Paprita. Attachment is the main, uh, the main source of entanglement in this world. Everyone knows that, says the Bhagavatam. 
But when you direct that attachment into the direction of the sadhus, moksha dwaram apabritam. That attachment opens the doors for liberation. <laughs> so we have no problem with attachment. The only thing is the direction of detachment. So we should be very just concerned about being careful of, of the influence and just understanding by Sadhu Sangha I can become I can develop my spiritual identity by Sadhu Sangha. Without Sadhu Sangha there's no me in Golagrundown. <laughs> I remember once Srila Bhakti Pramod Puri Maharaj, hopefully you know him at least on some level. <laughs> he was having his 100th Vyasa Puja. So you can imagine. No? Alive. He was alive. <laughs> so imagine such a stalwart Vaishnav was in his 100th birthday. And he was a Vaishnav from birth. So it was literally one century of devotion. <laughs> and sometimes people ask you, how long are you with the devotees? Imagine you say, 100 years. <laughs> <laughs> And more, for sure, not only that, whatever. No? So it was his 100th birthday. No, he was there. He lived for two more years after that. There's one nice video of his Vyasa Puja festival. He's giving a talk. No? He's asking forgiveness to the devotees. I'm so old. Excuse me. I won't remember properly the shlokas. And after that starts the, the talk, the lecturer gives so many shlokas. <laughs> I say that's bad memory. Oh my god. <laughs> And, and someone asked him that day, Guru Maharaj, what's the most important thing you have learned in all these 100 years of devotion? So imagine, no? everyone was like with the recorder. Well, he will say, no? well, the 100 years of pure devotion, and what's the most important thing in, those, in that century? So he answered in a very simple way, but at the same time in a very profound way. So he said, the most, well, if you know Bhakti Pramapurima, you will imagine himself answering the question, like, the most important thing I've learned in these 100 years, I don't want to imitate him, I'm just trying to help the visualization. <laughs> most important thing I've learned in these 100 years is that without the devotees, I'm nothing. Period. So coming from a person like him, that really has to make some impact in our hearts. We can repeat that. But he's on the other side of the, of the fence. He's already there. and He's from there saying to us, without that, I wouldn't be here. I, I, I wouldn't be who I am. Krishna Prem Jan Punan Mukyanga, we were saying the other day. Even if you achieve Krishna Prem, Sadhu Sangha is still Mukyanga, main feature of your practice. Not only as the birth of bhakti, but as the nurturing factor at every single step of bhakti, till even Krishna Prem, on the other side, in the spiritual world, Sadhu Sangha is still. I mean, if you take Sadhu Sangha out from Golok Vrindavan, I mean, who remains there? <laughs> Everything is about Sadhu Sangha there. That's where you find real Sadhu Sangha in its. The ultimate expression, if you will. Everything is giving Sadhu Sangha. Every atom is providing Sadhu Sangha. So in this case, Rupa Goswami goes in the indirect way saying, be careful of the opposite of that. Do not lose your time with the opposite. Being Sadhu Sangha is such an important thing. Do not lose your time with a Sadhu Sangha. I mean, 
he makes this type of idea. Such sadhu sang is such an incredible thing. You know, you cannot compare with anything else how you can spend your time in a satsanga. You're losing your time and energy. And finally, he says lowliam. So lowliam has to do with greed. And sometimes it's also translated as this type in a lack of stability that comes when you are dealing with too many different opinions. Sometimes the charities have explained that, that regard, lowliam. Maybe become, because you have many different things and you develop some uh, non-fixed greed. Well, maybe this, maybe this. I will. So, no. your intelligence will be multi-branched <laughs> and you are not going anywhere. <laughs> you have to do in one direction. So, so greed has to do with and the commentators also connect with the satsanga principle. If you have a satsanga, you will have lolyam in the wrong direction. Huh? Because if you are associated with bhukti kami, mukti kamis, siddhi kamis, you start to develop greed for that. Huh? Material enjoyment, liberation, hmm, even, which is for us very especially delicate. Mukti is compared like the desire for mukti to. How do you say it? Pisachi, oh, like to a witch. And some devotees have jokingly say this. This, so it, it will mean like if you have trapped by a ghost, and some devotees merge the connection of this shloka and the Gita, main a play of words. Like, Brahma Bhuta Prasanatma. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are after Brahman, you're Brahma Bhuta. No, some Bhuta is over you through taking you into the, into such a word. But the idea is this, no? I mean, if you are really, if you want our type of devotion, Nishkam Bhakti, you have to have the proper Krishna Bhakta Nishkam Ataiva Santa, proper association. If not, Bhukti, Mukti, Siddhi, Kami Shakali Santa. You will be just trapped by these ghosts of material desire in the form of whatever. Mukti, Siddhi, Kam, Bhukti. Those are all forms of controlling. So in our school, instead of controlling, we want to to do this Atmanivedan mudra, no? like Gornita and this mudra. It's a mudra. Atmani like surrender. I told as Maharaj was speaking yesterday. Atma Samarpana. No? I'm the offering. I'm yours. Take me. No? So just doing the mudra just starts to to free your mind. Okay. <laughs> no, like, just if, like if you do like this and you stay like 15 seconds like this, some effect is there. I mean, mudra is a whole science. It's not just join your hands. It's like, create something. There are conditioned mudras. I won't repeat them, but they invoke another type of energy in this world. <laughs> Gestures with your hands or whatever. No? So you go like this. <laughs> so, so we should try to, to, to get proper association proper greed basically the, the best way to counteract greed is greed <laughs> no? the best way to yeah uh, lolium is the main f- fact- factor yeah factor Be- behind the rag of active practice as Chaitanya Chaitamrita itself says that no? it says um, Krishna Bhakti Rasa Bhavitam Atikriyadam Kriyatam Yadi Kutopila Tatra Laulam Apye Kalam Mulam this is a famous verse that it is said that Srila Prabhupada was inspiring this verse to name his society 
ISKCON, International Society for Krishna Consciousness. What's Krishna Consciousness for Srila Prabhupada? Krishna Bhakti Rasa Bhavitamati. Your intelligence is like drenched in Krishna Bhakti Rasa. That's Krishna Consciousness. That's to become Krishna Consciousness. <laughs> and what is the only currency or price for paying for obtaining that? Tatra Laulim Api Kalam Intense greed. Intense greed means whatever that Krishna Consciousness is expressing, go running and buy it. No matter if this this institution, that Gaudi institution, it, it's a it, it, non-sectarian call. Buy it wherever it's coming. Of course, you have your guru, you have your duty in one direction, but if you find Krishna Bhakti Rasa somewhere else, I mean, you won't say, oh no, that's that's not my institution, so that Krishna Bhakti Rasa is, no, belongs in that. No, I will hunker to have some contact with Krishna Bhakti Rasa, whatever it may come. So in a very non-sectarian way, we are being invited to pursue. So Laulam is the main, uh, the main thing that will qualify us for Raghavakti. This famous verse in that regard. Mahaprabhu said that to Ram. Ramananda said that to Mahaprabhu. So try to counteract greed with greed. In the same way, try to counteract whatever, whatever other anartha with the original version of that. You have, you can have come for Krishna. <laughs> also, to counteract mundane calm or desire, and, and, and so on. So, some words regarding how to to properly represent our tradition, avoiding those things that have to be avoided, and do it being a very nice example for the world of what does it mean to be a Vaishna, because because if there is a main obstacle in this world for the develop for the dissemination of Krishna consciousness, main obstacle will be the members of the society of Krishna consciousness. <laughs> when they are not properly representing their own tradition. That's the main obstacle. As Sila Prabhupada said, this movement can be destroyed not from outside, but from inside. So, we, are, we have the potential to be the main obstacles to the expansion of the Krishna movement, Krishna consciousness movement. But ideally, we shouldn't be the the obstacle to that, but <laughs> the facilitators of that. Mm-hmm. So this is a little bit, some words about it, and how to, well, we spoke a little bit about how to counteract that, but tomorrow we'll enter much more in detail about how to invoke the positive side of this equation, but knowing what to do in, in these six directions. So tomorrow we will go with the third sloka of Upadrishnamrita, Rupa Goswami will speak about enthusiasm, determination, patience, and so on. But before finishing, if Ashram Maharaj can share with us some words, please, some conclusions, and whatever insight you may like to share. Shripad Bhakti Abhay, Ashram Maharaj, Yuki, Jai. Maharaj covered quite nicely a lot of the things I was thinking about. There were things that he said and I was thinking of the same thing just about the same time he said it. And I was thinking, oh, okay. Maybe I'm not doing so badly. Um, One thing I particularly appreciated, and I was waiting for this, thinking, okay, this is what I'm going to contribute. When he mentioned the Bhagavatam verse, this is actually um, 
this line, uh, this line in, in, is actually in two Bhagavatam verses in subsequent chapters. Chapter 20 and 21, I think, of, of, of the 11th canto. So this is Krishna, and he says it twice in, in pretty close sequence, toward the end of the 20th chapter and the second verse of the, of the 21st chapter, I think. And um, this is a, uh, such an important um, point. Bhaktivinoda Thakur uh, wrote about this sometimes. Tripurari Maharaj is, uh, talks about it all the time. It's something that I've been, uh, that I've thought about uh, for a, a lot, for a really long time. And, and, and I like the way Maharaj, you know, when he coupled it with Niyama Agraha and Niyama Agraha, that it's both ways. Know where you are and behave accordingly. That's virtue. To do otherwise, it's a fault. And so, neither should we uh, try, you know, try to uh, uh, take on things that are that are too much beyond our grasp. We should also be always be reaching, always stretching a little bit. Um, uh, but uh, we shouldn't presume, you know, that, that we're more qualified. We should actually be introspective. One, one. I was just reflecting the other day. One of the uh, benefits I had being a brahmachari in Hawaii in 1970, 71, 72, into 73, a little bit, was that um, our temple president Gorsundar would read from. Uh, sometimes he would give classes from Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur's writings and he um, exhorted the devotees to be introspective uh, quite a lot and that's something that made an impression on me back then and uh, so we need you know we need to be introspective we need to watch um, what's going on in our hearts so that we can so, so that we do know how to behave so neither should we uh, try to present ourselves as, as more advanced than we are. Nor should we, as Maharaj pointed out so nicely, be lazy and uh, be complacent with uh, the behavior of someone um, of lesser accomplishment than, than we. And we should be striving always to progress. This is one of the things, uh, one word that, I, I, that really attracted me to Srila Sridhar Maharaj. Uh, writing, um, his speaking, is he he talked a lot about progressive spiritual life. It's it's an active culture, as as Srila Rupa Goswami tells us when he defines uttama bhakti and bhakti prasamrita sindhu. Um, so I I really liked that, and, and I was also thinking, we're because I talk a lot. I was telling Kanaram and, and Heather this morning. I you know. Probably every twelfth sentence, I'm going to bring up something about Sharanagati because this is a project going on in the back of my head, a uh, writing project that I need to get to. And um, so I guess I better maintain my health because I hear that clock on the wall ticking. But um, uh, we look at the first two angas of Sharanagati. And sometimes we wonder, oh, oh, how do I know what's favorable and how do I know what's unfavorable? 
Well, we got it right here in these two verses, verse 2 and 3 of Upadeshamrita. You want to know what's pratikulyasya? Pratikula, what uh, undermines our spiritual progress. Um, it, that's what we just spent the last hour or so talking about. And if we want to know what's favorable, well, we'll be awake tomorrow too, right? Mm-hmm. Be very attentive to, to, to uh, find uh, different aspects of, 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 of what's favorable so we know what uh, to embrace. And, uh, and and I like that you know, what to embrace. I, I, I when when I think when we think of pratikulya uh, sivarjanam, uh, a lot of devotees say reject what's unfavorable, and um, that's too active sometimes. I think for some devotees, I think ultimately it just becomes neglect. Just like we do with the uh, the, the uh, Madhima Bhaktas do with the with the um, uh, the those who are averse to the supreme personality of Godhead, they don't necessarily attack them. They just nikshape. They just neglect them. They don't have time for them. You know, I mean, I see devotees. You know, they want to engage some atheist philosopher and. Uh, a big debate on, on YouTube, and what happens? You got the cheerleaders on either side, you know. Go, you know, so you got the you got the Swami making you know making a, a kind of a standard point. You know, you parry and then a thrust makes that thrust, and everybody goes, "Jai!" But the philosopher's got he's got a response for that. Darko Patishta, you know, we, argument doesn't really resolve anything. Because there's always going to be somebody who'll come up with a, uh, a point um, that can make my what I thought, what I and my cheerleaders thought was a brilliant point, look kind of silly. Um, so, um, so you know, we just you know when these things come, we don't have to you know we don't have to. Uh, uh, I mean, we need to we we need to avoid. The bad association, the greed, and, and the prajalpa, um, and, and the, but doing, but eventually, it's just not a factor. I mean, how many of us anymore say, uh, you know, if 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 we have to be in a social gathering with somebody, you know, and somebody says, "You want me? Uh, uh, what do you want? Scotch or bourbon?" How many of us any any longer say, "I can't drink." I'm a Hare Krishna devotee. I can't do that. No, we don't. We just don't do it. I don't drink. Don't eat meat. I could eat meat if I wanted to. Doesn't make any sense for me to say I can't eat meat. I could eat. I could. You know, I found it repulsive when I was a little kid. Found it repulsive. Trained myself to kind of like it when I was a teenager, so kind of conform a little bit with people, not be too weird. And then when I realized, hell, there's billion people in the world who you know, don't do that then it's, you know, I can do it too cool, whatever um, so it's, you know, we just we kind of neglect those things and then the other things, we embrace we run toward them you know, with our arms open it's like, you know, I, I see Amal Sham I know, okay, I'm going to get a couple hugs here today same thing with Subal and Krishna Chaitanya. I know that these got these folks are hug machines. I think I'm collecting, man. Okay, so there's a little. They get a little hug too, but I'm collecting them hugs. You know, and I see them. I think, ah, 
And so um, this this is you know these are the, those those two angas of Sharanagati are are uh, given to us in detail right here in these two in these two verses. And I just think that's really cool. And I think that's it. Thank you. I just got a question, if that's okay. I have some minutes. I don't know. Yeah, please. Yeah. Years. Yeah, so you. Okay. okay. I'm just wondering about uh, this, uh, this Jana Sangas thing. I found, and I, I think that um, sometimes there are certain associations who are not devotees, but are maybe not worldly either, and that, that I've benefited from that association. So I'm wondering if, you know, I find various partners where I work here or there who are open to having a very interesting discussion, or I don't know what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say here is, I guess, I, I think, and I think it fits with this Madhyama, you know, the, they're not a, they're not averse to Krishna consciousness, but they're they're a good association. But you wouldn't necessarily call them a devotee unless you were invoking the definition of the person who's said the name of Krishna once. Then you would call them a devotee. But you know what I'm trying to get at here? Because sometimes I think one would hear this verse and says, you must give up. This is... But but there is there's like a lot of association out there that is not detrimental to our devotional service, but they are not necessarily devotees. What what, what do you guys say about that? Oh well, if their if their company encourages us to share. A little of our heart, in a, in a way that they um, that they can appreciate, and and we see that they're they're not averse, they're not inimical. Um, we can also, I mean, you, you can feel it. You know, you can you can. Our hearts are, in many ways, more powerful uh, 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 organs of cognition than our brains. And we can, you know, we can feel. And so, you know, Janasanga means ordinary people. It means, and it means people it means people who are really firmly rooted here. That's where their faith is. Their faith is in the, is, is completely in the Maya Shakti. They don't have any faith in in something beyond that. So, um, and and association means um, intimacy. Means intimate. So we, we, you know, we learn to feel who you know who we can be a little intimate with. I mean, to be extreme about it, there's a psychologist. I think she's a psychologist or, so, or maybe sociologist named Helen Fisher, who I heard interviewed by Krista Tippett some years ago, and she's kind of a sociologist of sex, and she made a really interesting point uh, uh, in, in the course of their conversation. She said. Um, if you don't want to become attached to somebody, don't have sex with them. Because it's a really intimate exchange of energy. And that's how, you know, you hear the stories of the, you know, the, the nice, smart, pretty girl who 
falls in with the bad boy or something like that because it's a little exciting, a little adventurous or something like that. And then she can't let go of him. And he, it turns out, you know, he's a narcissistic, a little monstrous kind of a person. And there's different kinds of abuse over the years. And she can't leave him because I love him. And he, you know, he loves me. And he always apologizes. I'll never do it again, you know. And it's that attachment, those roots into each other's heart that, you know, that, that make that kind of thing hard. So, that, I mean, that's the, a really extreme way of characterizing intimacy. But that's, you know, that's what we want. We want... We want to avoid too much intimacy with people um, who, you know, might call us, cause us to call into question, uh, you know, our, our spiritual practices. Mm-hmm. One thing for them to challenge it in a way that you know might make them stronger, but you know, but as Mara said, you know, if we're, if we're really influenced by them, then we can, uh, you know, then we can understand. A little distance here is, is appropriate. It's a really not. It's, I mean, it's because we we all spend so much time with different people and different kinds of people. And, uh, it's, and you know, I, li- I like the question. Yeah, but we, yeah, we find some people though who do you know, their association and like when you say something, then they they're like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? They're on the same wavelength, but. From their side, therefore, we're both helping each other. Just like uh, Father Roar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is. A, I would love to hang out with this guy. I hope somehow or other he gets his. He's not Jana Sangha. I don't. I, you no. see what I'm saying? The guy's a sadhu. I was quoting him in the context of yeah. Sangha. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Father Roar. Father Roar is a sadhu, and you know, and we meet so many. Um, Buddhist priests and, and, and monks and just lay practitioners. These people are sadhus. They have good hearts. Um, and, and they want their, their faith in, in, in the material world is, is not strong. You know, I mean, they know they're, you know, they know they're small. That's the kind of people we want to associate with. Um, and we can, you know, we can learn. There's so much to learn from someone like, like, like uh, Father Roar. I, I may or may not want to have lunch with him. Um, if you cook, no problem. Yeah, well, if I cook, yeah. You know, if yeah, if we cooked for him, it'd be, it'd be. I mean, the guy, the just. I, can, I, I mean, sometimes I listen to him. And I read his read his books and the cook. You know, if I had some money. I'd go to New Mexico for you know for a few months and take one of those courses or something. You know? and you, these are people with good hearts, and he's got you know like his whole staff. He's got folks working with him like Mirabai Star. She may not be exactly a devotee, but she's a, she sounds like somebody who's seriously interested in spiritual life, and a bunch of the others that, you know, that work with him. And, you know, the same thing. You go to so many. Um, Places. This fellow who had who had us to the center at Start Spartanburg, Joe Sweatman. Such a nice, such a nice man. You know, and he's not. You know, somebody may think, well, he's not one of us. Well, the guy. I don't care. Listen, the guy. The, you know, the, the guy may practice one kind of meditation most of the time, but if we bring a Hare Krishna kirtan around, he's there. 
he and his partner are both, they're just both right there. They're, they have open hearts. Madame? I was just thinking also that the, kind of on the flip side, the, the question reveals something also about the practitioner's adhikar, because mm. you may associate with quote-unquote ordinary people, and if somehow you're getting some little bits of fuel for your own realization, even though they may not be expressing anything beyond like once in the name of Krishna, that's also revealing something about your own consciousness that you're gathering that information from the world in so-called Janasanga, that it's becoming positive Sangha, um, because it's saying something about the state of your practice that you can bring that out of people and, and, in a sense, give something back that elevates the conversation on and on um, just by what you're bringing to the relationship. So it's not necessarily that the association is bad for you um, because you're having enough strength to bring into relationships all throughout the world that... Um, you're gaining some realization from it. You have really clean filters. You're like filtering. Well, it's interesting that you're saying that because it seems like that also could be connected to this idea of the environment becoming friendly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some, exactly. Mm-hmm. Some equate to initiative type thing, but also it can <clears throat> come into play with this idea of bringing rules that you no longer need and keeping them in your life, like, oh, I need to avoid these people. You, you know what yeah. I'm saying? When, you, when you've come to a point where uh, you can. I also think that as much as one advances, one may develop this sort of gurus everywhere, mm-hmm. but at the same yeah. time, one may develop at the same time some necessity for a particular type of intimate association mm-hmm. for sharing certain things that you won't be able to share with everyone. Yes. Now, and that does not, not necessarily be violent or sectarian, but there's a, a natural necessity of certain states. So I think also that's a, a place for that. And I think what Rupa Goswami was saying, Jan Sangha, also he was referring to this idea we are constructing a project of new identity. So be very careful mm-hmm. about which are the influences entering into your sense of identity, because we already have a whole identity with so many layers of material sound scars that we now have to transform into something else. So just be careful about what's entering and influencing that. Not necessarily be saying be careful whoever is not the wife now. Because back to not even in, in the purpose of that verse he mentions lists of that set of Jana Sangha and he mentions mainly as Mara said people who deeply rooted in the Maya Shakti hmm. perspective, those attached to those people Mayabad, who may have an opposed, uh, opposite mm. conclusion, and so on. And he even mentions devotees. <laughs> Hi- hypocrite, hypocritical mm-hmm. devotees, Dharma Dwajis, he mm-hmm. calls them. Mm-hmm. No? So, They're waving the flag yeah, wavers. Exactly. Dwajis means like the, the flag, and Dharma is the one who waving the flag of Dharma religion, but in Behind the flag, there is something. <laughs> so as you were mentioning on the other side, there may be people who are not devotees, but can nurture 
one, on some level, at least our devotion, there are people who seem to be devotees, but who are doing the opposite. <laughs> Worldly people. Yeah, so it's not something just one form externally, but what's going on inside the other, what's going on inside me. So we have to go beyond the form. What's a devotee, what's not a devotee, levels of devotees, levels of non devotees, <laughs> layer in so many directions. Mm. Very nice. And I'm thinking when Madan was speaking, it, it, it also means that we're looking for Krishna wherever we go. Mm-hmm. You know, if we pay attention to those to those little things, to those little influences that are good. Oh, he, you know, he said something that helps me understand how I can, you know, better engage in my practice, more effectively engage in my practice or something. It's like, like Rohr wrote a, uh, a book called Falling Upward, which is uh, an examination of the two stages of life. And, you know, I, I don't, I, you know, I, some, of the best, some of the best association for how to be an old guy without a family um, that I've ever had, you know, because it's, it's because he's kind of like coming from a, a real human place and this is a guy who's been you know a lifelong monk monk when he when he graduated from high school he uh, moved into the monastery and they sent him to college you know so um, but he's all but he also he you know he can appreciate what he got from his you know family in Kansas <coughs> I think also it's important to know the limits of each association in, in this healthy way, in the sense of yeah. you can learn from everyone, but I will be able to maybe speak with Richard Moore about Ramananda Sambhas, but it doesn't make him a Jana Sangha. Yeah. You know? So I can take as much advantage as I can from him and vice versa. Share a little. But also I have to know where to nurture those other more weird topics, if you <laughs> in another type of Sangha and that's not necessarily being violent or offensive to other levels of Sangha that I also need even to not be just sectarian in my only exclusive Buddha Vaishnava circle of Sangha I love to read Thomas Merton and I live for me he's like really inspires my practice it's not that I want to run and become go to the seminary forever I like to visit here, but it's <laughs> but it's nurturing. So it's, but you know the the limits of that in one point, not the limits in the sense of what I need and a certain nurturing from the particular expression of this Guru Shakti will come from Gudiya Vaishnava Guru Parampara. I mean, no problem. It's not a problem. It has to be that. It seems it's, it's similar, like to what you eat. You don't just eat <coughs> one food. Like there's different nutrients and different things you need in every single thing. And you know, like, if you need fiber, you don't just eat cheese all day. So, yeah. (laughs) 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 Right? Or you know, you need vitamin C, and you go, you get it from oranges and lemons. Right, so... You need to, yeah, you know. Yeah, well, that's yeah. good. I get that there, but I need this other nutrient, this, this yeah, nutrition, yeah. and that. Even though we have our main meal, if you will, <laughs> mm-hmm. right. from our guru and some right. we need other 
Sometimes you're low in some little trace mineral. Get it right over there. Something else? Another question?